Can the entrepreneurial process be systematized? We believe so, by the application of our Austrian fundamentals-based process to specific cases. Today, we analyze an instructive example case. This is the Economics for Business podcast. We are here to help all businesses become champions for customers and value, improving lives with preferred and innovative products and services. We offer you the knowledge and tools to make your entrepreneurial journey a successful one. Now, here's your host, Hunter Hastings. Hi, Hunter Hastings here. Business is not complicated, it's complex. More accurately, it's a complex system. Complex systems are hard to predict and hard to guide because of the many ways in which many components can interact with each other and result in unpredicted outcomes like emergence and spontaneous order. In dealing with complexity in the real world, in business, the place to start is with fundamentals. If you can get your business fundamentals right, you can operate a cogent approach that will be sustainable, whatever the complexity of your business context. One of the first fundamentals is process. If you're able to develop a process and sub-processes that everyone in your firm can follow, you have a guide to actions and decision-making in every situation. At Economics for Business, we've developed a process called entrepreneurial GPS. The GPS reference is to the concept that if you know where you are and you have a target destination, you can work out the best route to get there. Listen today to an entrepreneur who did just that and who has mapped her journey for us to the Economics for Business GPS. The process begins at imagination, an entrepreneurial super tool for creating the future. It proceeds through design, which is a formalization of imagination, and then to assembly, which is the combination of assets and resources sufficient to bring an idea to the readiness for the market. The next stage is marketing, presentation to the customer for their consideration. Then the customer experience phase, in which the customer tries and evaluates the entrepreneurial product or service and renders a verdict on its value. Given a positive verdict, your business enters a multifaceted management and growth phase, where a different set of tools, perhaps even a different business model, is required to advance. And then it's even part of the process, a completion of sorts, to give up ownership by merging into a larger entity, selling majority stake, or even the whole business, or turning it over to your partners or the next generation. This process is not linear. It can be quite recursive. You might initiate the process for multiple ventures at multiple times, new projects, new brands, innovations, a mid-stage correction, an efficiency drive, or a growth drive. In all cases, the process and its associated knowledge and tools and connections to people can guide the way through complexity systematically rather than randomly. Our guest today is Jackie Boland. She is the founder of, and until its recent acquisition, the CEO of Red Tricycle, a digital lifestyle brand for moms and families that in 10 fast growth years, became established as a profitable leader in the competitive space of mom-oriented content. Let's find out about the knowledge space from which she launched her venture and her advance through the entrepreneurial GPS process. 
Jackie, welcome to the Economics for Business podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's exciting for us. We have a theme here that we call the entrepreneurial journey, Jackie, that creating new economic value, which is what we're all about, takes time. It takes many twists and turns along the way. You've got to accumulate knowledge as you go and, and respond to the signals of the marketplace. It's not always planning and strategy, we think. It's uh, adaptiveness and responsiveness and flexibility and a little bit of mindset, determination to succeed. So we're looking to learn from you. You're at a stage where you can assess your own journey, which has been hugely successful. And uh, we want to hear your story. And we like to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit of your origin story, Jackie. What were you doing before you started Red Tricycle, which is the company we're going to talk about? Yeah. Um, so, well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. I'll go back to the very beginning. And I mm -hmm. like to say I come from a family of hustlers and not in a mm -hmm. derogatory way, but a, a family like my parents are both from New York City. My mom grew up in Hell's Kitchen, my father in Harlem. And um, they escaped New York City in the 1970s, which it was, you know, pretty bad place to live at the time and moved to the suburbs. And they kind of did whatever they needed to do to be able to afford that lifestyle. Um, you know, my dad was a landscaper. My mom had a real estate license and she had an antique store. And my father, um, they bought a duplex and my father bought an arcade, a pinball arcade, you know. And so they sold things at the flea market. I mean, they 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 always had something going on and, and, and it was a family affair. And so my sister, my brother, and I were always part of that. So on the weekends, I might find myself sort of at the flea market, you know, selling plants or whatever it was that they happened to get their hands on. Um, and so I, I guess I never thought about what they did as entrepreneurship, but I guess it was. Mm -hmm. And so personally, I, decided as when I got old enough that I wanted to pursue a different path. I, I, that, that, that lifestyle was very chaotic to me. Um, and I just wanted to go to college. Neither of my parents had graduated from college and get a corporate job, um, with benefits like a 401k and health insurance. You know, I just wanted a, a very, um, normal life like my friend's parents had. Um, and so I studied um, public relations. Um, I, I moved to San Francisco. I worked in PR for a couple of years. And I moved over to um, publishing, media publishing, and um, worked uh, for some big companies, Meredith, Reed Elsevier, Miller Publishing, had a great corporate experience. Um, and then I worked for some smaller companies like San Francisco Magazine and Yoga Journal. Um, and then one of my um, former bosses started her own uh, magazine. It was a new yoga company called Breathe. Uh, yoga magazine. And so that was the, that was a, 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 an easy transition for me to experience startup life with somebody I knew and a framework that I understood, which was magazines. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, once I sort of got a taste of um, working, working for a startup, um, I don't think there was any going back for me to corporate life. <laughs> yeah, irreversible. Yeah. Yeah. 
Were magazines digital back then or are you talking published paper? Yeah, no, we are talking old school. Um, And so, you know, print magazines where, you know, you're talking about circulation, right? Meredith had Better Homes and Gardens and all those magazines, even um, San Francisco magazine. Um, So, yes. So the the magazine background and, and I think one of the reasons when I started Red Tricycle was because, you know, media overall was at a crossroads where, you know, magazines had existed and had been huge money makers for bigger media companies, but digital media was evolving and it wasn't quite as profitable yet. And so the, the intersection of how um, media companies could be profitable online was just super interesting to me. And it was one of the, one of my inspirations for starting a business is, you know, when you do work for a corporation, um, one of the benefits is that, you know, it it teaches you how a business operates. And so you Mm -hmm. see both the good and the bad and, you know, working for a media company for a magazine, I could see sort of the layers of bureaucracy and just inefficiency. And I could, imagine a way to do it better, leaner, less costly. And so that was the the business inspiration for me. Well, you used a magic word there, Jackie, which is imagine. And yes. in, our, in our entrepreneurial journey, we have imagination as the first step, which is we conceive as before formal design, before formal assembly of the business, is something in your head that you imagine could be a business. So can you recall that stage? That What were you imagining? What, what did you think you would do? What do you think would happen in your imagination? Yeah. Um, so from, from a, I think I just shared a little bit about sort of the business model, yeah. but from, from a, from a consumer perspective, you know, I was at a crossroads in my life in that Um, I was newly pregnant and had just landed in a brand new city. We had just moved to Seattle, which, you know, I grew up in New York and lived in California, never in my wildest dreams thought I would live in Seattle. And suddenly here I am. And, you know, um, my husband is working ridiculous hours at Microsoft. So I'm pretty much on my own. And I am uh, trying to see this new city through the lens of new parenthood um, and thinking, you know, we didn't have many friends with kids. And so I was, you know, finding myself Googling things like, um, can kids eat sushi? Can you bring kids <laughs> to bars? Right. Uh, you know, like, um, can kids go to rock concerts? And so lots of things like that. Um, and so, and so, I had this idea of what I wanted as a consumer, but not exactly how to execute it. Was it sort of a printed guidebook? You know, I guess it could have been a magazine, but it felt like, you know, digital was certainly the the path forward um, for, for newer parents. And so, um, yeah. And so my, you know, inspiration was trying to figure out something to, you know, make a guidebook for being a new parent and not just being a new parent, but being a, a being a fun new parent, like having mm-hmm. some semblance of my former life as a parent. 
you know, they say every entry into a search bar is a cry for help. So it's, <laughs> it's like you fit that. Yes. So, um, part of imagination is imagining your your customer or your consumer. You've, you've hinted at that a little bit, but did you imagine there were mothers out there with the same need or did you formally explore it? Did you have an in- intuition? What, what were you thinking about your customer? Yeah, I would say Red Tricycle was primarily driven by intuition. Um, I was fortunate in that the business that I built, a media company, digital media company, was very cost efficient. Um, I didn't have to design a physical product, build a supply chain, et cetera. So I could create content send it out to 40 moms and see how they responded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to get feedback quickly. And the things that about moms, and this was sort of an instinct, but I think it's proven true. And, you know, 10, 12 years later, I still stand by it is um, that moms are huge researchers and consumers of content, especially new moms. Mm-hmm. Like if, if your kid isn't sleeping through the night, you're not just going to buy one book about sleep training. You're going to buy every book on the shelf. <laughs> and, and, and so with Red Tricycle, you know, even if there was similar content, whether in a print format or, you know, digitally on a website or a blog or a newsletter, it was highly likely that moms would still read Red Tricycle because that's just how moms are. And, and not to say dads aren't either, um, but moms, you know, tend to be like 85% the seekers of information and they'll sort of forward the information to their partners. A quick note. Did you know that we provide supplemental materials for each podcast? Listening to and understanding the key takeaways from our expert guests helps you think better about building a more beautiful business. Taking direct action and implementing these strategies is when the real work begins. Take a concrete, immediate step to implementing a better business model today by downloading the show notes and business tool we've created for this episode. Visit Mises.org slash E4BPod. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org slash E, the number four, the letter B, P-O-D, and click on today's episode now. Back to our interview. So that's a, as you say, clever intuition that was proven by, uh, by the market. So let's let's transition into what we call design, which is kind of a, the more formal part of putting your business model together before you actually get to market. Um, so we think of spreadsheets, or we think of um, the you know starting a rendition of your website or. There are tools out there like the business model canvas. Yep. How did you go through the design phase? How did you manage that? So when I started Red Tricycle, I wasn't sure if I was building a big business. I certainly didn't think at the time I was going to be the CEO of a venture-backed company. Um, So I borrowed a lot from the magazine world and adapted it for a digital environment. Um, And so, you know, using a a media kit from a magazine and adapting it for my purposes. Um, I had worked with a woman, Deanna Brown, um, on a previous startup, 
and she was the interim CEO of Daily Candy, which was a brand and business that I and a business model that I, I admired. And so, um, and so, you know, the first few years of our trade school were fairly intuitive. Um, was um, I, I knew how to create content, whether I did it myself or I hired writers, um, and I knew how to sell. And so, um, and so, the design process itself was um, was was fairly intuitive, you know, relying on a existing model in magazines, mm -hmm. adapting it, hiring some graphic designers. Um, it, it wasn't until I started thinking about scaling the business and started talking to investors that I put in a more formal process into place. But we could say in design that you found uh, a model that you could you could follow you know, perhaps not closely or formally, like uh, like Daily Candy, right? That was one design. Correct. Yeah. Yes, uh -huh, correct. But it just kind of happened. The design just kind of happened, it sounds like. Yeah. I, Based uh, on your expertise. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there was, there was certainly like um, limitations, you know, if you're using um, uh, an email ESP, email service provider, like constant contact, then you're design is limited to you know the templates they had available mm -hmm. you know I, everything was sort of shoestring budgeted um so that you know those those also influenced our design yeah so that that brings us to what we think of as the next step in the journey which is intermingled with all the others but at the beginning we call it assembly so you've got to find those resources you're going to find the writers you're going to find the constant contact software, you've got to find other vendors, you've got to design a marketing plan and execute it. And eventually in your case, you you went to venture capital as well. So how did you think about assembly? I've, we call it resource assembly, but do you think like that or how does assembly happen when you're, when you're getting yeah, started? Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, with our business specifically, because, you know, we launched in Seattle and then we moved to San Francisco and then we moved to LA and Portland across the country. And so in each of those markets, we had to assemble, you know, the right teams of editors and salespeople in those markets and do outreach to businesses, et cetera. And so, um, um, one thing, you know, when I started talking initially, it was just raising, um, angel investment and hadn't considered venture capital. And so, um, some of the, the groups like 500 startups and launch had, um, really robust, um, uh, communications with, um, with other entrepreneurs. And so, um, that was really helpful, um, in just thinking about, um, different ESPs or software, et cetera. You, you had, um, a lot of people who had either started businesses that had been successful or failed either way, they learned a ton and were willing to share it. Um, and so uh, tapping into those networks and, you know, I think AngelList is a great network as well. And there's tons of conferences you can attend. And so, um, so there's so much already out there, um, whether it is, um, you know, recommended software vendors and or um, some um, business models that you can modify for your own purposes. Um, so that was 
super helpful. And then, you know, specifically to Red Tricycle, we relied heavily on the mom to mom word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, launched in markets, you know, when we started in Seattle, then moved to San Francisco, there's a ton of um, uh, families that move either from Seattle to San Francisco or San Francisco to Seattle, right? Because of the tech startup, et cetera, job opportunities. And so, you know, we relied on those people to reach out to their friends. We, um, We relied on the red tricycle customer list if we needed to hire a writer or an editor or a marketing person even you know 10 years later it's still for us the best source of hiring talent um and so that was sort of our rollout strategy was just going into sort of um warm markets where we knew another mom from another city would recommend us to their mom friend in LA or San Diego so you go to market uh, approach, which is kind of the next step. Did you formalize that? There's some word of mouth, there's some email marketing, there's some other components. Did you have a formal market entry, go to market kind of structure? Or again, is it is it more instinctive? Yeah, no, we, we certainly did, especially once we took on um, some uh venture capital mm-hmm. um because and so you know we focused on a, a couple metrics really and ramping those up pretty quickly for us our three kpis were um traffic subscribers and revenue and so um you know we knew from whatever previous markets we had sort of the top performing content the top things that moms were interested in and so we would um create content you know we would see the market with say you know 20 or 30 stories that drove good seo traffic that would drive the traffic for us and then our job was to convert that traffic to subscribers to the newsletter there was no cost to subscribe it was free but it's it still implied a you know an intent and a relationship with the customer that they believed in us enough to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, and then the the third part was, um, you know, we built a list in each market of paying subscribers and then we could rely on, hey, you know, these um, kids museums in Seattle love or a tricycle and then leverage that to get the children's museums in Atlanta to also advertise with us. And so, um, and that, fulfilled our third KPI, which was driving revenue. Mm-hmm. So the revenue is primarily advertiser revenue. Correct. Yeah. So another another piece that we talk about is is brand, Jackie, not thinking so much about the name Red Tricycle, although it'd be interesting to find out where that came from, but um, the brand that you talk about on your site, a lifestyle brand that fuels the parenting universe with daily inspiration for family fun. Uh, which I understand is just a formal set of words to to express your your empathy with with moms. But tell us how you were thinking about brand and building a brand. Yeah. Um, so um, there was a you know even the moms consumed tons of media. Um, they consumed different media for different things, and you know. Baby Center was, you know, the sort of gold star for medical advice about babies' development and child development. And we didn't think we could do a better job than they could. Um, 
And then there was, you know, other media outlets dedicated to sort of mom herself. And then there was outlets dedicated to um, children as well, right? Um, whether it's Sesame Street or PBS. And so um, our whole focus was how do we inspire people to spend time as a family? How do we, and, you know, we optimistically thought, well, we can use media for good. You know, you can consume content on our tricycle and then go offline and do something with your family. And so our, our KPI was never about spending, you know, 10, 12, 15 page views, spending a half hour on red tricycle. It was really like quick, uh, get an idea or an inspiration to spend time with your kids um, and then go offline and do it and then come back two days later and do it over and over again. So our, mm-hmm. our model was a little bit different that, in that we weren't looking for the infinite scroll. We were really like, you know, find an idea, find it quickly, get off and do something. And so, um, and so this was focusing on sort of the lighter side of parenting and having fun with your kids. Um, you know, it felt good to us. It felt, um, we could steer away from the mommy wars about bottle feeding versus breastfeeding. (laughs) Um, yeah, we didn't have to get into, wait into politics. Um, you know, and we could stay sort of in the middle lane and, um, offer something for all parents. And the, another term we use is customer experience. That's pretty widespread term these days, obviously, but were you able to follow your customers? Did they actually um, find those pieces of inspiration and go back and or go out and do it with their family? Did they come back and tell you? What was the, the customer experience as you were able to monitor it? Yeah, um, and this was where um, social media did come into play. And so, um, you know, people would send us emails. And this, it's all anecdotal. I don't have any hard data out of what percentage mm-hmm. of people. Um, it, but, you know, the fact that, you know, somebody would take a picture of themselves at the zoo and hashtag, I think it was like best weekend ever or whatever the hashtag that we had um, was. And, you know, you could see specifically that they were, you know, uh, doing the, the, doing the things that we recommended, not just, you know, everyday moms, which is super important, but even celebrity moms, I think Randy Zuckerberg, Pink, Ivanka Trump, you know, mm-hmm. when her when her kids were little, used red tricycle and, you know, either tweeted about it or shared it on Instagram that they found this great idea for, you know, a campsite or a restaurant. Um, so so that was our data point that we were doing a good job. That's great, actually. We we prefer that a lot over statistics and percentages and so on like that, that kind of uh, subjective value data, subjective anecdotal data is exactly what you're looking for. I think it says the the customer is bonded with you in some emotional way. So that, that's great. Yeah. Um, did you think about competition at all? You've mentioned Baby Center and Sesame Street and things like that, but were there competitive brands that you had to uh, navigate around or was that not a, an issue for you? I mean, I think competition is what keeps every entrepreneur up at night. Um, And so it wasn't necessarily other media companies. It wasn't the Merediths or even, you know, startup people who were doing something similar to us. But I think it was the new business models, you know, first about 
you know, a year or so after raising venture capital, suddenly it was like Groupon and living social. And um, I think there was a one dedicated to moms also. And they really like upended the advertiser business model that we had. And um, it was just a huge distraction that ultimately proved to be unsustainable. But um um, and then after that, of course, it was Facebook and then Instagram. Um, and and so it is easy to get distracted, um, to get distracted by the new thing, the new buzzy mm-hmm. thing um, that everybody is spawning over, whether it is, you know, the media itself or uh, VCs, you know, or everybody's all in on, you know, uh, marketplace model or whatever, whatever the new thing is, social media. Um, so it's hard, um, not to get distracted by that. And so we always said, okay, you know, our goal is to inspire families to spend time together and it doesn't always have to be in the same format. If we need to evolve where or how we tell that story, that's okay. Um, I think the challenge is, you know, you try to be everywhere, right. And you try to do some email and some website and some social media and whether, okay, it's Facebook this week, then it's Instagram, then it's TikTok. I mean, it's, it's really hard to, your brand gets diluted across multiple platforms. Yeah. We, as economists, we think about that as allocation of resources and that's a, that's a real challenge, right? Yes. absolutely. So is your advice to stay focused, stay in your lane, don't worry about competition? What, what's your advice for entrepreneurs going through that kind of, of minefield? Um, I think, yeah, I think I wish we had stayed focused. We did ultimately dial back and said, okay, we can't be on every platform. What are the platforms that make sense to us where our users are? Um, and so we, we didn't do TikTok. We didn't do Snapchat, um, particularly because like, you know, Pinterest um, is where moms are looking for ideas and inspiration. So that makes sense to us, right? That makes sense for our brand. Um, and so maybe somebody else is winning in the parenting space on, you know, Facebook or TikTok. Um, that that's fine, but it doesn't align with our mission. Good. So it's the, the activity of your customers. That's the, the way you keep focused. You, you see what's meaningful to them and stay where they are. Yes, exactly. Or, you know, when um, the sort of the mindset of when they're using those is, you know, we think of the red tricycle users as having an active mindset, you know, Facebook, you're kind of leaning back, maybe a glass of wine and scrolling infinitely. Whereas when you're reading red tricycle, um, you're kind of leaning forward, you're thinking, you're planning the weekend, you're going to find something, you're going to forward it to either your husband or your mom's group. And so we think, okay, where else are those people have a similar mindset, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's why like Pinterest was a fit for us. Yeah, that's a great insight, actually. How do you, how do you define that mindset? Again, is it intuition? Because you're a mom as well? Or is it is the research that gets you that or it's just instinct? How do you get a feel for the mindset? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it is instinct. Um, not just me personally, but when you have a team of 
parents um, and you're um, and they're also consuming lots of media because we're keeping up with the competition. So we're all sort of sharing that. And then I guess it is supported by consumer research. Um, we ask them what else they read and why they read it. And, you know, again, you know, moms and dads read lots of content for lots of different reasons. Um, but specifically, um, we the read red tricycle to to plan an activity. Yeah, we're big believers in that intuition part, Jackie, that there's some kind of a connection that the the entrepreneur or the business owner has with with the customers. And you can rationalize that and you can talk about research, but there's something going on there. There's some connection, some empathy, some um, some mutual effort to send signals and respond to signals that that works. You can't explain it in a spreadsheet, but it but it happens. It sounds like you had that. Yes. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Yeah. And then, so we, we sort of, that was our hypothesis. And then we um, sort of defined it more clearly by like making sure all of our content was written in an active voice and making sure all of our like visual elements were, you know, contain like pa families playing together and doing stuff together. Um, and so, um, but hopefully, subliminally, we're we're setting the tone for it. This is who we are. Yes, it's very very thoughtful and detailed in the execution of your your strategy there. Yeah. So we have another pin in our journey map. Uh, we call it management and growth, which is the you got your business up and running. You've you're doing all the things you've you've described, but you're you're finding your business growing. Are you going to keep it growing? And you've got you've in your case, you're adding markets, but you're hiring people. You're maybe moving to bigger offices. You're maybe adding bigger advertisers. I noticed you had brands like Pampas and, and Nike on your site. Uh, you got to deal with cash flow and all of those things. Tell us about growth management. How you how you thought about that in the in the years where that was yeah prominent. yeah it's a huge um it's a huge um pain points, probably the biggest, um, challenge on the entrepreneurial journey is, is hiring too soon, too late, um, managing your, your cash flow. Um, so for us, we started with local advertising because if you have 10,000 moms in Seattle, that is interesting for a toy store in Seattle or, a summer camp in Seattle, but it's not interested to the Pampers, right? Or the Amazon. Mm -hmm. But suddenly if you have 10,000 moms in 20 cities across the US, it gets more interesting for the national brands. Um, and so, you know, so our, our goal really was to roll out these local markets and build a strong foundation of um, local ad dollars until we could um, have enough um, scale to interest national advertisers. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it was painful for sure um, because it, we didn't scale national advertisers as quickly as we had hoped. So we had suddenly hundreds and hundreds of small businesses, um, you know, which it's, it's kind of a different business model. It's the Yelp model, right? Where they have mm -hmm. a, 
in-house sales team and it's sort of dialing for dollars. Um, and so you want to, you know, those, those are small businesses and we want to support them and they're the foundation of Red Tricycle. And so we want to be able to support them, but we have to, you know, as a business land some bigger clients in yeah. order to scale our business. And so, um, yes, transitioning, um, to uh, national, um, national clients and local content has been, you know, like a five-year process. Um, do I wish we had done it sooner? Probably. Um, uh, it, you know, and the other thing is hiring salespeople is very expensive too. And, you know, sometimes it'll take a year of somebody on salary um, before they can close a big national right. deal. There's a lot of foundational work that needs to be done. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a um, delicate process of scaling the business. Um, and so, you know, we, we put a plan in place and then we adjusted <laughs> and adjusted, yep. you know, and adjusted. <laughs> Right. So that's the, is that how it feels? A continuous adjustment, continuous balancing, rebalancing and, and so on. How does that feel? Yes. Um, always, um, all the time. Um, mm -hmm. because you know, like a fully staffed company will have, um, you know, a sales team across the U S in every market, but if you can't afford that, you have to stretch and think, okay, well, can this person sell local and national? Could this person cover Chicago and LA, you know? And so, and then once you start to get a little bit bigger, you're like, okay, now we can hire an LA person. What happens to that Chicago rep? It's, it's a constant adjustment. Yeah. It's a constant adjustment. Did you get to be good at the hiring process, Jackie? That that's one that a lot of entrepreneurs raise as you know terribly challenging, especially in the case that you're citing, where you're trying to hire a different kind of person for a different kind of function and it's different experience and and so on. Is that is that ever I something? I think I finally you did. Yeah, I think I finally did in like the last year or two, um, and I think we got better about screening candidates, being super candid, um, being super candid about who we are and what we did and what the experience was like at Red Tricycle. Um, especially you want to recruit people who work for big media companies, but if they're used to having huge expense accounts and an assistant, then they're probably not going to be mm -hmm. a good cultural fit for your startup where they're doing everything themselves. And so, um, and so, yes, we got uh, much better about screening and I think including more people on my team in the interview process and letting them ask questions both ways, both of the candidates and letting the candidates ask them questions. Um, yeah, I would say probably like the last two years, you know, this is sort of a 10 year long process, but the last probably had the most like solid, everybody knows their job, loves what they're doing, gets along team. So um, that was a win. Yeah, good. Congratulations. Yeah. So does growth feel jerky or does it feel continuous or does it feel out of reach, but suddenly it happens? How, how does growth feel when you're in this stage? It is never ending, right? You're always looking for the next milestone. Um, and so, you know, you have about a minute where you hit a 
a goal or a milestone and then, you know, you run into the next quarter and you have another goal that's even higher. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's a constant, um, it's a constant stress. I would say on the, on the growth side for like the business, as far as like traffic and stuff, there's, there's more of a, um, infrastructure in place it's like if we do x y and z we can grow seo traffic by x percent you know if we implement these procedures we can grow our subscribers and so that is um um a little bit more um controllable um but the sales part is you know you have a big seven figure account and it's 30 percent of your annual revenue Right. And suddenly you're spending a lot of time managing that account, but you have to grow other business and, and advertisers, they just, they're not, they're not going to stay with you necessarily for 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. They do chase bright, shiny new things, whether it's mm -hmm. a new platform or, you know, the buzzy new media brand. And so you're always um, chasing new business, you know, you'll have maybe 50% renewals, but then you have to, get 50% new business and your growth goal increases every year. So yeah, it's a lot of work. Jeff Bezos at Amazon talks about a flywheel that some businesses can become a flywheel, which you described there. You, you put more input in like, um, like advertising spending and the flywheel turns and you get more business out the other end, but it sounds like you've got a mix of that and some other parts that aren't flywheel. They're, they're stair steps and, as you say, advertisers come in and out. So it sounds like maybe there's a mixture of both of those aspects. Yeah, correct. And that's correct. And then, you know, you have things like a pandemic thrown in and who the mm -hmm. heck knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, for us, we always said for years and years and years, we're like, um, uh, national advertisers come and go, local is always there. The the summer camp always is always going to spend money with us it may only be a thousand dollars but you know we have a thousand summer camps and um they all spend a thousand dollars but suddenly what if there's no summer camp mm -hmm. <laughs> what if the toy store closes you know what if nobody has uh can hire a nanny because of the pandemic you know suddenly okay now that changes both local and national so yeah, yeah. but how did you how did you adjust for that um you found people who were innovating and, you know, lots of online retailers, everybody was home doing more shopping. Right. So you shift gears to, you know, uh, work with the Amazons and the targets um, and other, you know, people were launching um, online entertainment, you know, all of the streaming services. So, I mean, that's why where you have to, and really be able to pivot and, and shift gears to um, be able to continue to grow. Yeah. Well, the last pin in our little journey map, uh, Jackie, we call it disposition. Silicon Valley would call it exit, but we're trying to also encompass the, you know, the, the law partner that sells his business to his partners or the family owner that's, that leaves it to the kids. But so disposition is out to him, but exit's uh, another one. And uh, I don't know how much you can tell us about it, but you recently found uh, an acquisition partner and tell us what you can about that. Firstly, were you looking or did it, did it uh, come and find you and, and what was that process like? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I had decided a couple of years earlier, you know, once you raise venture capital, the trajectory is to continue, continue to raise and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had decided, you know, just really looking at the media landscape um, that the exit potential for raising more money wasn't necessarily proportional. Um, and so I had decided that probably the best path forward was not to raise additional venture capital, um, get the company to profitability and look for um, either a strategic partner or acquisition partner. Um, and so we had about two years of, you know, good, solid um, revenue growth and profitability. And um, the, you know, my venture capital partners had suggested hiring a banker, but I think everyone I've ever talked to is like, um, it's like dating, right? You, you, you <laughs> the, the minute you put your for sale sign out there, nobody wants you. Um, and so I was really hesitating to do that, but I was being pretty candid with everybody I had conversations with. And I wasn't just talking to um, media companies. I mean, you would think, okay, a media company is a natural acquisition, but most media companies are looking to diversify from an advertising revenue model. So they're looking to do acquisitions in e-commerce or, you know, um, streaming or something, Mm -hmm. something different. Um, And so I really had to think out of the box about pretty much anybody could be a strategic partner. Um, and what was the value that we had one, you know, we had an audience of moms and as you know, moms are primary consumers for, and purchasers of everything from consumer electronics to automotive to healthcare. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and so I had to look for somebody who was really interested in, um, a asset that could be a marketing engine for them. Um, and so the conversation with Tiny Beans, um, I, th- I had known the founder of Tiny Beans for two years. And so we sort of just talked on and off. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the conversation checked a lot of boxes. Um, when we looked at Tiny Beans, the publicly traded um, company on the Australian Stock Exchange, um, which was appealing um, for us because they had access to capital um, where they were very strong on the technology side. We were very strong on the content and sales side. And suddenly, well, if you put these two, you know, medium-sized companies together and suddenly you're strong in technology and sales and content creation, well, that can be something super powerful. Um, yeah. And so um, the, uh, I think the deal, you know, from, start of the first conversation in October and it closed in February. So um moved at a relatively fast yeah, pace. Pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. So were you were you selling that combination, Jackie, or did the acquirer recognize it? Was it just mutual or were you the marketer in that uh in that phase? It was I think it was mutual. Yeah, I think it was mutual. I mean, you know, like if you're looking for an acquisition, I think you have to do as much research as you can about partner you're talking to and try and think of how or why your company is a fit. Um, but it, it happened that 
this was an opportunity for them to fast track their growth, their scale and their revenue um, and, you know, get a deeper holding in the U.S. market. So I think, it, yeah, I think it was a good fit. Well, congratulations on on that end of the journey, or maybe it's not the end for you. Maybe you're going to do more journeys, but I know this is an impossible question, but are there any kind of looking back, summing up kind of points that you would make? I'll, I'll give an example you know, for, for startup entrepreneurs. Would you be in the just do it camp if you've got an idea or would you be in the, gosh, you've got to do a lot more strategic planning and, and thinking? I'm definitely in the just do it camp. I think um, even since Red Tricycle started, you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, there's so many more tools and resources available that the cost testing an idea to start an idea are so small now it's it's um it just i would say just jump in and and try it and get started and also there are so many great resources out there like angel list and um lots of um networks where you can talk to other entrepreneurs um that if you have um an idea and a passion and the drive, I, I, I just don't see that. It feels to me like there's no reason why you can't get it off the ground. Any, any more advice that you would give to our entrepreneurs? What can I say? Have <laughs> fun. Have fun along the way. Enjoy it. Start a business that you like spending your time doing because you're going to be spending a lot of time, hours and hours every single day. Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, people talk about the stress and the, the, uh, the hours that they put in you're to complete your story. You're still married to that same wonderful husband. Your, your baby is now a teenager. You're still gorgeous yes. and fit. And so that you haven't, uh, you didn't sacrifice those things to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, I, I, I think parenting overall is evolving and there's m most um, households now are too, working parents, um, not a lot of stay at home. And so you just kind of figure out it's like, um, it's like a work life integration rather than a balance, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, you, and you figure it out. Good. Yeah. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for this uh, tour of your entrepreneurial journey. It's a real inspiration for, for anyone, I think. And uh, you're, you're exemplary. You're a, I, I used to say heroine, but I'm not, allowed to say that anymore so champion the champion of the <laughs> entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial thank you thing. well this is exciting um i loved um having an opportunity to talk through all this stuff because now i'm getting like pumped to start on my next um startup so this is a good uh little launching pad for me to um start um start diving in again so thanks so much um and i look forward to hearing it good thank you jackie this has been wonderful okay thanks Economics for Business is a production of the Mises Institute. To explore more content like this, visit Mises.org. And for more from Hunter Hastings, visit HunterHastings.com.